0: Support for Petri Dish is made possible by UT Health San Antonio. Committed to transforming the health of the community through a team that tackles problems from every angle. Doing everything it takes to bring each patient the best possible outcomes. From teaching tomorrow's healthcare care leaders to translating research into new treatments. UT Health San Antonio strives to make lives better. Learn more at everythingittakes.org. Marmosets are pretty cute.
1: I would argue that marmosets are the cutest of the primates. Um, I'll get some pushback about that.
0: That's Dr. Karina Ross. She's a Ph.D. scientist and the acting director of the Southwest National Primate Research Center housed at Texas Biomedical Research Institute in San Antonio. Hi.
1: Some treats? They are South American primates They occur in Brazil, the species that we work with, and they are fascinating. They all have personalities. They're uh, fun to work with. They're just, I, I think they're the best. Marmosets are tiny little monkeys, roughly squirrel-sized. And to
0: hear that? They chirp, adorably, sort of like little birds.
1: And they have a, a huge repertoire of sounds um, that they use. And the the sounds, we know some of their meanings were kind of generalized. This is their alarm call. This is their food call.
0: And their behavior, how they act as individuals, and how they interact with one another is really interesting to observe.
1: They form... Nuclear family groups, so it's usually uh, monogamous female and male breeding, and then they give birth to twins, fraternal twins usually um, and then those twins stay and help raise the younger infants.
0: These family units with marmosets of all ages participating in family and community life make them good models for the study of many things that are of interest to their much larger but usually far less furry primate cousins humans
1: from a uh, biomedical research perspective, they are a really strong model for a lot of what we um, are interested in for biomedical because they form family groups and they um, help take care of young. And if we're doing um, testing like aging, if we're interested in something like aging, they have a social network that's similar to ours. So we can ask questions about what happens when an individual gets old, what happens when you lose a long-term partner,
0: and their health changes in familiar ways over time,
1: too. From a physiology perspective, they're, they're similar to humans. They, they get cardiac disease when they're aging. They get dementia and cognitive changes when they're aging.
0: Aging is what Dr. Ross is interested in right now. Aging and the gut. Marmoset microbiomes, human microbiomes, and the fountain of youth. One of humanity's great quests made microscopic in the aging intestines of tiny monkeys. From Texas Public Radio, this is Petri Dish. I'm Bonnie Petrie. The microbiome is kind of a hot topic these days. Over the last 20 years or so, it's become clear that what's going on on and in our bodies is a lot more complicated than we ever suspected. In fact, the microbiome is so hot, it became the center of a storyline on a show that is a perennial American pop culture mirror. South Park. All of us have trillions of microscopic critters that grow on and inside our bodies, just like your mom. There's tiny creatures which live on your mom's skin,
1: on her eyelashes, in her vagina. But the good.
0: Bacteria... It's true. Are totally microbes overrun. are all over us. They're invisible to the naked eye, but the National Institutes of Health says microbes inhabit just about every part of the human body, all of our nooks and crannies. They're on the skin. They're in our gut. They're up our noses. Trillions of them. That's true, too, of our non-human primate cousins, including marmosets. And Ross says in marmosets and in humans, it's easy to overlook the profound impact all these organisms have
1: on our health, starting with the gut. The gut is exactly something that we take for granted. Um, Food goes in, waste comes out, you get energy and you go.
0: Right? But it is nowhere near that simple.
1: All of the bacteria and there's some fungus and there's some viruses all living together in this ecosystem. And that ecosystem is working on those molecules and it's free food for them. They get this buffet that moves through. But this is beneficial to us because there are items that we can't break down. So think of broccoli, for example, the cellulose and broccoli. We can't break it down. Uh, Humans don't make the right digestive mixes to break that down. So if the microbiome wasn't there, you'd get no nutritional value from eating that type of vegetation.
0: So say when we eat a piece of broccoli, we might think that we will also be the organism digesting the broccoli. After all, that is what our digestive system is for, right? But no, we do not digest the broccoli. We help, sure, but in the end, our cruciferous snack is gobbled up by our gut microbes, and then their waste molecules give us the good broccoli nutrients in a form we can use. It's truly a symbiotic relationship. And if it's out of balance, like with Kyle's mom in South Park, you can get sick, sometimes very sick.
1: So we work together, right? The microbiome that lives in our gut couldn't live in other places because it wouldn't get the nutrients that they need. And we don't do well if we don't have um, the microbiome. And in fact, um, people that have had to clean out the microbiome, they can't survive.
0: The state of your microbiome being out of balance is called dysbiosis.
1: And so if you take a load of antibiotics because you have another infection somewhere else in the body, the side effect of that is it cleans out, it can clean out your gut microbiome. And so people will notice that they have diarrhea afterwards, or they're really sluggish, or they are having trouble. um, Things that didn't bother them are suddenly giving them heartburn and all those things.
0: I get low mood. I feel very depressed when I'm on antibiotics.
1: Yep, it affects cognition and it affects mood. This is a new idea, as in,
0: you know, in the last 20 years or so, that your microbiome could have anything to do with your mood or how well you think or even how you think or what you think about but it's become crystal clear that the guys in our guts are as much a part of who we are as any other part of us. We're talking about bacteria, funguses, viruses. It's a whole ecosystem in there teeming with life that is not human. And a healthy microbiome is a diverse microbiome, including all kinds of different strains and species of microscopic living things. It's true in marmosets and it's true in humans. But
1: as we age, that seems to change. We have reports that the microbiome diversity decreases as people get older. But as people get older, they are more likely to be on pharmaceutical treatments, antibiotics, other medicines. A lot of these studies have been done in nursing homes. Um, So they're on bland diets in a uniform environment, usually high in antibacterial, surrounded in antibacterial, sterile type things. And they, um, again, are on tons of medicines. Um, And so saying that those people differ from young people, it doesn't give us what the cause is. Did they lose the microbiome diversity first? Can the gut not maintain and support a diverse microbiome? Or is it because we've put them on these medicines and changed their gut?
0: Well, the marmosets at Southwest National Primate Research Center don't live in nursing homes. They don't take piles of pills and they don't eat bland diets. How are their guts?
1: So with the marmosets, what we found is we started with looking at whether their microbiome changed with age, and it does. And it becomes less diverse. So this isn't a nursing home effect. This isn't a medication effect. This is as they get older, they lose this diversity. They're fed the same things. They live in the same social groups. They live in the same environment. So what we think is happening is a change to the gut.
0: We think. But Ross would like to know for sure. She'd like to know why the microbiome changes with age. And if we know that, can we stop it? and if we
1: can stop it will it change how we age when we talk to geriatric patients you know what they are most concerned about is losing cognitive ability losing mobility function having to be dependent on others you know that population of and we're going to contribute to it eventually um that population is growing and they're sick not just for a year or for two years but there are individuals that are in nursing home care for 10 or 20 years. And that's not that's the opposite of health span, right? That is not what we want um, for people. So I think that's where my hopes lie in these interventions is we can we can decrease that long, debilitating, awful time frame that some individuals have and predict who's at risk, right? Not everybody has the same risk factors. The fountain of youth. But
0: is it really? Ross uses the term health span to articulate what she's interested in, not lifespan. That's an important distinction.
1: No, we're not trying to reverse the clock with this. So Right, so when we think of the fountain of youth, it's not about living for eternity or or going back to being 20 or 30. It is how do we have interventions that allow people to be 60, 70, 80, and still living independently and without devastating disease. So can we reduce the need for nursing homes? Can we increase independence and decrease that risk of debilitating diseases? This
0: is pretty pressing, too, as according to data from World Population Prospects, the 2022 revision, 16% of the global population will be 65 or older by 2050. By that same year, the number of people aged 65 years or older worldwide is projected to be more than twice the number of children under the age of five. So Ross and a team of researchers with expertise in everything from gut bacteria to digestion to biological anthropology to marmoset behavior and beyond are studying the marmoset microbiome to see what it can teach us about healthy aging in humans. When Petri Dish continues, we'll learn about Ross's team's research and what poop shakes have to do with it.
1: So marmosets are a little different than people they like to eat fecal matter. So it's pretty easy to make a shake that they will then readily eat. That's next.
0: Support for Petri Dish is made possible by UT Health San Antonio, committed to transforming the health of the community through a team that tackles problems from every angle, doing everything it takes to bring each patient the best possible outcomes. From teaching tomorrow's healthcare leaders to translating research into new treatments, UT Health San Antonio strives to make lives better. Learn more at EverythingItTakes.org. You're listening to Petri Dish. At the Southwest National Primate Research Center, housed at Texas Biomedical Research Institute in San Antonio, there are around 400 marmosets. That's among the largest research populations of marmosets in the country, and SNPRC has the largest population of what they call geriatric marmosets. Geriatric marmosets are older than eight years old. SNRP Acting Director Karina Ross says about 65 of those marmosets are involved in a National Institutes of Health funded study of their health as they age and their microbiomes.
1: We're looking at their metabolic profiles, how lean they are, uh, how they walk, what they do behaviorally, their social behaviors. We're looking at different measures of health, um, clinical assessments on them regularly, and then we're comparing that to their microbiome diversity, and we're looking for markers of risk. So if they have this marker in their microbiome, they're more at risk for, for example, kidney disease, or they're more at risk for frailty or cognitive disease. And then
0: they're testing an intervention. Back to Kyle's mom on South Park.
1: So what can you do for her? We need to take a healthy person's microbiome and start to grow it inside your mother. We do this with a fecal transplant. So we're taking fecal microbiome from young animals that are healthy and have strong health scores and transplanting that orally into um, old animals. And then we'll follow their health forward and see if it recovers their health parameters.
0: So that sounds terrible. A fecal transplant, which some people call a gut flora transplant because it's, you know, more accurate and it's definitely less disgusting, can be done surgically, like in the case of Kyle's mom. But in the case of the San Antonio marmosets, the gut flora is delivered, as Ross said, orally, in
1: a shake. So marmosets are a little different than people they like to eat fecal matter. So it's pretty easy to make a shake that they will then readily eat. So they eat this poop shake, and then we follow them for another year to see if we're able to change the microbiome diversity, which we look at through sequencing. We do gene sequencing, and then we look at health parameters.
0: Right. So they want to see if the new, younger, and more diverse microbiome establishes itself in the older marmoset's gut. And they want to know if the older gut can support the new, more diverse microbiome, if it'll colonize and grow. And if it does, does it improve the marmoset's health span?
1: The hope is, is that this resets them to a younger status and that we see changes in health.
0: Well, that would be extremely exciting. But that answer would lead to a million more
1: questions. And then what part of the microbiome is healthy? We we kind of are guessing lactobacillus is good, bifido is good, but are there other pieces of this community that we can use that might be easier to get into the system um, for probiotics and other things that we can help reset? And, And are there differences? Are there imbalances that make people more at risk for sarcopenia and frailty? Are there imbalances that make you more at risk for Alzheimer's or cognitive? And can we tease apart what those patterns look like? And then we can go after interventions to prevent those. So we we want a lot.
0: And then the big question, how would that information translate to humans? Now, right now, there are a ton of probiotics on the market in pills and in foods like yogurt. They claim to do all kinds of things. There are probiotics that contain lactobacillus and bifidobacteria, types of gut bacteria, which Ross says we're pretty sure are some of the good guys. But it's difficult to know if the probiotics you buy at the store, and they can be very expensive, can possibly do any good. After all, it's a pretty hostile trip to where we want the microbes to live.
1: If you take something orally like a pill um, or a, a probiotic shake, it has to go through that first half of the digestive tract, and there's microbes all the way through. Um, but the part that we're focused on is the small intestine. So it has to make it through. Is it being attacked by enzymes in our mouth and in our In our stomach, does it make it through the stomach acid? And in that, it's changing, it's being exposed to different pHs and different oxygen levels and, micro, and different temperatures, potentially. So with the probiotics that we take in shakes or in vitamin pills or, um, you know, whatever it is, we're not sure yet what makes it through and whether all the good things that we need make it through.
0: And remember these marmosets are not just getting a dose of probiotics in a capsule Ross ordered on Amazon or a cup of play. They're getting a young, healthy marmoset's entire microbiome.
1: Right. So the, the focus of a, of a fecal transplant is to, to take as much of the microbiome diversity without any of the other stuff in the fecal matter. So when a fecal transplant is done whether it's surgically or or through shakes, the waste matter is removed. And what you're doing is flushing all of the microbes into a saline. Um, And then that saline is either dried into a pill form, um, like a powdered pill form, that's the microbes. Or in our case with the marmosets, it's just the saline shake that's given. But the focus isn't everything else that comes out in the waste material. We want to get rid of that. So it's a long process, well, semi-long process in that involves centrifuges and filtering and, and getting the other pieces out to, to really focus on that gut flora, the microbiome. Um, we want those cells.
0: And if those cells make a difference in the marmosets, we still won't know for sure what, if anything, might make a difference in humans.
1: If we can figure out what, again, what that healthy microbiome looks like for humans, we can come up with, maybe it's not transplants that we need. Maybe it's nutritional supplements. Um, Maybe it's reducing processed foods, increasing fruits and veggies, which we're always told to do, right?
0: Maybe it's just getting to know and learning to love our trillions of microbe friends who are part of us.
1: Yeah, and our whole our whole society is is built on now on anti-microbes, right? I mean, we, we're surrounded by antibacterials. We take antibiotics. We have cleaned foods, which is great. I mean, listeria outbreaks and salmonella outbreaks are bad. Um, so I'm not promoting those. But I mean, we do all these things to clean ourselves up. And in the meantime, we have no idea because nobody ever thinks about it about what our symbiotic microbes have been going through um, and how we've altered those.
0: I mean, think about it, right? The the sauerkraut my great-grandfather ate in Poland bears little resemblance to the foods I eat now. My Irish great-great-grandmother's potatoes, they aren't the same. And while it's possible my Swedish great-great-grandfather's pickled herring is similar, I'm not gonna try it to find out. In fact, there are scientists right now, I just read about it today, studying ancient oral microbiomes to see what they can tell us about the foods our more distant ancestors ate, what it may have meant for their health, and what it may mean for ours. We're still at the very beginning of a learning process that may end up taking us deep into our past as it propels us into a healthier future.
1: It's really disconcerting to think about um, and to think about how little we know, but it's exciting to to be working on it.
0: Thank you, Dr. Ross. That's Karina Ross, a PhD scientist and acting director of the Southwest National Primate Research Center at Texas Biomed. So you know how when you learn a new word, a word you've never heard before, you suddenly see it and hear it everywhere all the time? That's how I feel right now about the microbiome. I've been covering health and science for a really long time, including the microbiome, but it wasn't until recently when I was, you know, feeling kind of terrible during a course of antibiotics that I did a really deep dive into the subject, and now I see it everywhere. The microbiome and mood disorders, like depression. The microbiome and ADHD and autism. The microbiome and multiple sclerosis and Parkinson's disease. The microbiome, COVID-19, and long COVID. I just saw an ad for probiotic dog food. So the microbiome and animal health. Too late for them, though. I already give my dogs probiotics. But seriously, it's everywhere, and I am really happy about it. I suspect gut health may be a missing piece for a lot of chronic health puzzles Americans have been diligently trying to solve for themselves for decades. Study of the human microbiome is going on in every medical specialty there is, and it is exciting. So this will not be the last episode of Petri Dish that explores gut health, the gut-brain axis, the microbiome, stay tuned. In the meantime, I think I will try the pickled herring. This episode of Petri Dish was produced by TPR News Director Dan Katz, Jacob Rosati, and me. Jacob Rosati also composed all the music and created the sound design for this show, Petri Dish is a production of Texas Public Radio. I'm Bonnie Petrie. Talk to you soon.